Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Sherlock. Sure listen, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Sure look, sure listen. Sure look, sure listen. Sure look, sure listen. Sure look, sure listen. Sure look. Sure listen. Sure look, sure listen. Sure look, sure listen. Sure, look at Benjamin. Some people might say third time's a charm, but we're having a go at fifth or sixth time is a charm. That's a, that's a little jab at you, Ben, that the listeners won't understand. But, look, we don't have time for petty beefs because we've got loads to take a look at. We have to look at a new film, a trailer of which you've just sent me from Netflix, Choose or Die. To be honest, I choose Choose. Also, Moon Knight, Ben. We've come full circle back to our origins as a podcast. Moon Knight is finally out, so we'll probably have a little poke around in Moon Knight. And most exciting of all, I've seen the new Marvel Sony film, Dr. Michael Morbius. Is he a vampire? Yes, he is. (laughs) Sure, listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough, uh, and it isn't because we do a weekly pop culture podcast here. Weekly podcast, yeah, yeah. We're going to be taking a look at urban fantasy, Michael, here on Mm. the podcast Mm. today, looking at its origins, where it comes from, what distinguishes it from a regular old fantasy. And Michael, to do that, yes, we've only gone and gotten a bloody guest. A special bloody guest, is it? It's a special guest, Mick. Better than both of us put together. It's uh, it's Connor. I'd like to hear more. Connor's back. Hello, Connor's hello, back. listeners. I'm uh, I'm back. They they tried to get rid of me, and I just couldn't keep me down. I'm I'm here again to tell you more. We very nearly did keep him down, Benjamin. We were we were a good ten minutes in before we found him. We I tell close. you what, though, yeah. here's my biggest urban fantasy: is that one day I'm sitting at home, and he just knocks on the front door, and he says, "Oi, Mick, we need you for Judge Dredd too." And I say, Carl, are you sure? And he says, "Oi, mate, I'm getting too old to be Judge Dredd. You can be Judge Dredd, and I'll be your sidekick." Um, whilst that is is lovely, Mick, and and you know yes. very um very sweet in yes. its own way I think you've misunderstood the topic okay go on um, so while Connor is actually a huge Carl Urban fan yes um, and probably has quite a few fantasies of his own what we're actually talking about is the genre of literature and fiction oh no yeah I see yeah oh well because you see I've got this other one where I'm just I'm the Cole Kidman Mm-hmm. I'm divorced from uh, Tom Cruise and I'm thinking it's time to make a change in my life what I okay. need is a nice sexy country music singer and then uh, <laughs> Keith comes along and just sweeps me off my feet uh, again yes um, that that one is less sweet um, right go on it's, it's actually a bit more sinister um, mainly because <laughs> Nicole Kidman is in it but again that's Keith Urban and oh, not I've Urban done Fantasy up. the literature genre I've gotten mixed up again. Oh, <laughs> but I tell you, what, I could keep going. Shall I stop? <laughs> well, you, can, you can give us one more there. Three no, no, I'll, the stop, magic I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll save one for later. Benjamin. Yeah. I've made a choice there because yeah, you've I, uh, you've you've held up a little sign to me saying Mick choose or die. <laughs> That's what I did, Mick. That's what I did. Uh, we got a trailer this week, Mick, for a, a rather unusual looking horror film. Go on. Um, so Choose or Die is about a cursed video game, Michael, back from the early days of video games. It's an Atari-looking, uh, or Commodore 64-looking, choose-your-own-adventure-style floppy disk game. 
Yeah, Bandersnatch. Are you thinking of Bandersnatch? No, I'm not thinking of Bandersnatch, Michael. The the Black Mirror spin-off Bandersnatch. I'm not thinking of that. What I'm thinking of, Michael, is the brand new film that will be coming out from Netflix very soon called Choose or Die, Michael. Right, go on. Um, and it involves, it involves a, a very simple plotline, Michael. Yes. Um, and the plotline is that due to the crippling socioeconomic conditions of 2022, where people are forced to really labour till they die, or, mm. you know just win the lottery in some kind uh, there's a young lady and she's she's on the cusp of being evicted with her very sick mother Michael there's a small violin playing in the background there a little tiny one yeah and <clears throat> what that's doing what's that done is it's pushed her to seek out new forms of income Michael and uh, she discovers an old video game Michael and it turns out that this old video game has a $125,000 prize that right. has never been claimed and isn't right. out of out of the catchment, right? So she's still eligible to win this prize if she can only beat the game. However, seems unlikely. It seems, it seems very unlikely. unlikely. It does. It does. However, Michael, this game is called Cursor, as in oh. the cursor on a mouse, but it's spelled C U R S E R, which isn't yeah. good, Michael. Like okay. curse her. I get it. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's no good. It's no good. So anyway, she starts playing the game, Michael, in a Jumanji style. Uh, scenario involves itself where uh, it starts to warp reality but it's not fun monkeys this time Michael or a silly colonial hunter who's going after Robin Williams this time it's the kind of thing where it influences reality and gives her choices around the actual world that she's set in so it's it's kind of a case Michael where fantasy meets reality oh uh, I see in an urban setting uh, oh one, I see <laughs> one example I see what you've done I see what I've done. Uh, one of the examples that's really harrowing from the trailer is uh, she's in a, a diner, Michael. Yeah, and yeah. the game begins to influence reality and the waitress drops a glass. And mm. then the game says, should she clean or break more glasses? So that's her choice. I Choose or die. And of course, naturally, mm. naturally, the young lady says, oh, well, she should probably clean that up. And then the waitress only goes and starts eating the glass off no the floor. No use, Benjamin. No use. It's like... Um, it's like the game was written by the same people who invented genies. Yeah, it's, it's no good. It's, it's careful what you wish for. Be careful what you choose. Not to the game genie, Benjamin, the very helpful cheating device from the 90s. <laughs> yes, a classic uh, in its uh, own uh, right. Your, your, your old bad egg genie. I'll tell you what, um, I have this recurring fantasy where it's like the middle of the 16th century and, yeah. uh, and the Pope dies. And they come to me and say, Mick, will you be the new Pope? And I say, Jesus, as I will, but I don't think I'll last very long. And then I, uh, I, I become the Pope, but I die 12 days later. Right. That's Pope I, I, Urban. That's oh, Pope it's Pope Urban. Right. It's, another, it's another urban fantasy joke. It's Pope I, Urban. I, was, I wasn't sure where that came from. Uh, Michael, but again, you've, you've fundamentally misunderstood the uh, the topic of the week. While I appreciate your... Um, Catholic urban Commit- fantasy. Um, oh, very good. In in this particular case, what again? What we are looking at is um, the the genre of fiction, not the Bible, not religious fiction. Okay, oh, zing! Got the Catholic Church there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> took them down a notch. We're actually looking at the. Uh, I didn't sign the, up for this takedown of the Catholic <laughs> Church. <laughs> Nobody did. That's how it works. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, you've misunderstood again, Michael. But moving on from a very creepy-looking Jumanji thing, which I thought I think I'm probably going to watch, but very scaredly, um, which is definitely a word. Don't look it up, uh, Michael. You've gone and seen a film. 
I've seen a film, Benjamin. I've seen the biggest film of the year, Dr. Michael Morbius. He's coming to get you because watch out, he's spooky and he's lepping about the place. And I'll tell you what. Yeah. I'll tell you what. It might be a bloody Dracula film, but it, it really sucks. It really hey. sucks. Because it's, it's vampires and it's, and it's crap. <laughs> it works on two layers. It works, it, on, it two works layers. on two different levels. And that is the last vampire pun I've got for this whole review, I promise. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to see Dr. Dr. Michael Morbius, Ben. As you know, set in the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel movies. Boo. Yeah. AKA the, the things that Marvel really wished didn't exist yeah, but contractually have to. Yeah. Yes. Where do we start from this? Halfway through the film, Benjamin and, and Connor. Hello there, Connor. Halfway through the film, and this isn't another urban fantasy, I promise. Halfway through the film, my phone started ringing. And I picked it up and said, hello, this is Mick speaking. Sorry, yeah, you are interrupting the film Morbius, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. And on the phone, on the other line, it was 2005. And what 2005 said is, we're here, we're telling you now that we're going to sue the writers of Michael Morbius because we want our superhero plots back. And what did you because say? 2005. I said, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Because, <laughs> yeah, because it's very 2005 up in here. That's what I said. <laughs> All right. So here's the plot, right? It's a 2005 film, right? You, you so, want to do spoilers for the terrible film? Ah, you know what? This film can go to hell, Ben. <laughs> it, so I'll happily spoil this film if it means people don't go and see it. Because the okay. worst... The worst thing about these Sony films, these Sony Spider-Man films, is that they do keep making them because they keep tricking people into seeing them by making them think they're good films related to Spider-Man. But they're not. And they're not. Somebody does say Spider-Man in this one, which is a change, but um, very tangentially. Anyway, look, (laughs) the, the worst thing is about this film that it's it's probably a hair under two hours. Oh, Christ. But even though it's quite short, it's still a real drag cula. Nice. Because oh. Oh, the best uh, the best vampire pun I've got for the whole <laughs> review. Because <laughs> dra- I drag cula. Anyway, it's 2005. So imagine it's the year 2005 and you want to make a superhero film. So you've got a real sick boy. Okay. And that real sick boy has got a, a, a friend who's also a real sick boy. A couple of sick boys, huh? couple of sick boys not sick in the modern sense in the traditional sense that was, gonna be the, that was an alternate name for this podcast a couple of sick Two boys sick boys yeah it was <laughs> we didn't go with it anyway right <laughs> one of them grows up in 25 years to somehow become the 50 year old Jared Leto and the other okay. one grows up to be the 35-year-old Matt Smith. But we won't get into that too, too in-depth because Jared Leto is quite a young 50. And is he, 50? he becomes Jared Leto's 50 would you believe? Maybe he is a vampire Maybe he is some sort of a mortal vampire. That's strange. This is his cover. Like, Jared Leto, why are you still so young? He's like, I was making a film, Michael Morbius. I was also a big fat Italian man two weeks ago. I'm not that, anymore. I'm not anymore. I'm not a big fat Italian man. Um, what was I saying? It's 2005. Yeah. There's two sick boys, and uh-huh. they grow up to be um, two sick men. But one of them's the best scientist in the world. And he says, I can recombinate my DNA using bats or whatever. And the other fellow says, oh, that sounds great. We should do it together. And then Dr. Mickey Morbius does it. And he becomes a kind of a Batman in a sense. Okay. And his friend is like, can I be a Batman as well? And Michael Morbius says, no, you can't. It's a curse. And guess what his friend does? 
he only goes and becomes a Batman. He does it anyway, yeah. So oh, yeah. there's two boys and they have the exact same powers and one of them's good and one of them's evil and that's it. That's the story. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, Rick, and, it's a Rick and Morty episode. That's the film. It's a, it's 2005. It's, it's early misunderstood superhero. It's Sony can't seem to get their head around. If you have a superhero, you have to have another one who's the same but evil. And then they just flap around the place fighting each other for two hours. It's dreadful. <laughs> it sounds dreadful. Oh, it's absolutely dreadful. There's one of the most mi- poorly misjudged love interests of all time. Who's, she gets bloody fridged. I don't know. I don't even know who the actress is. I thought it was Isa Gonzalez at the start, but I don't think it is. Um, there is... I, guess who's in it? Guess who's in it? Jared Harris is in it. What's he doing there? Exactly. Is, he, is he a belt a, loader? No, he's not a belt loader. He's not oh. trying to defeat the Inaz. <laughs> he's... He's barely in it. It's an absolute shocking criminal waste of Jared Harris, which shows you how bad this is. So Jared Harris being the same age as Jared Leto seems to be a Jared thing. About Uh, the same thing. The two Jareds. They're like, let's, we're only going to get Jareds on this. And they they insisted that Matt Smith refer to himself as Jared. And that's why he's so (laughs) dreadful in it. Because he was too upset all the time. There's there's two Jareds and they're a couple of sick boys. And then there's a bat. (laughs) One thing that really upset me about it. Have you seen, have you seen the 2002 film Underworld with one Catherine Beckinsale? Yes. Do, Do you remember? What the name of the the characters in that movie were? Uh, sexy Vampire 1, Sexy Vampire right. 2, yes. Mediocre Vampire who was on a lower substrata of the society, number one, um, and yes. then Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen is in it, <laughs> right? That's yeah. pretty much it. Um, but the the the... The sexy vampire man, the sexy vampire man played by Scott Speedman in Underworld. His name is Michael. Yes. And the leader of the werewolves in in, in Underworld, played by Tony Blair himself, is yes. his name is Lu- his name is Lucian. Yes. And the two lead characters in this are called Michael and Lucian. Get fucked. I that's what I said to the film, Ben. I said to the <laughs> film, film, get fucked. And somebody went, shh. I think it was Jared Leto. I think Jared Leto was supervising the movie. And And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, is this a... He went, a shush. (laughs) And I will give you a bigger slap. I I was thinking to myself, is this a homage of Underworld? Is... (laughs) What's why? Why would somebody do that? Why would someone name their lead characters Michael and Lucy unless they were massive Underworld fans? It is... It's not dreadful. Okay. As in, it didn't fill me with dread, but it's no use at all. It's like a throwback to the worst of throwaway, disposable. It's remember when superhero films start getting good, and people yeah. were like, "Nah, superhero films are a lot of shite." Yeah. This is why people thought that. Okay, so films it's, like films like this. It's it's setting back superhero film public relations by twenty oh, years big, or so. Big time. I was leaving. As I was walking out, there was another man in the queue and there was another man leaving at the same time and he said to his friends, at least it was better than the Batman. And I thought to myself, what? What? What What film were you at? You absolute lunatic. So if he's listening to this, I I would like to challenge him to one-on-one Batman-related combat. (laughs) We'll we'll each dress up as... 
We'll each dress up as Batman and we'll have a big fight to determine which is the best. Look, listen, it's dreadful. Don't go see it. The biggest crime it commits, though, and here we go. We're going to full, full big spoilers now yeah, okay. for stuff that doesn't happen. Okay, cool. R- remember all those ties they promised us to the Spider-Man universe? Yes, uh, a Michael Keaton. Yeah. Michael Keaton in it and you know uh, pictures of Spider-Man on the wall and you know very clearly set in the Spider-Man universe and none of that happens what? it's not in the film what? it's none of that is in the film so remember a few months ago I hypothesised that um, this film had been delayed because they had written and filmed it on the assumption that in No Way Home the universes would merge Yes. And then someone in Sony saw No Way Home and at the end of it, the universes didn't merge and they said, oh, shit. Yeah. I thought they were going to stay merged. It's pretty bad. (laughs) Yeah. That's what has happened here because I'm going to spoil both post-credit scenes for you now. Okay, go on. Right. So the first post-credit scene, a big purple crack opens in the sky. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember those from No Way Home? Yeah, classics. The big purple crack. And then Adrian Toomes. The vulture. The vulture, Michael Keaton, materialises into another Batman, in a sense. Materialises into an empty prison cell. Why? I don't know. Nobody knows. And there's a news report and there's like, there's a strange new man. He just appeared. Who is he? We don't know. Should we let him out of prison? And everyone's saying, yes, probably. He didn't do anything in this universe. So they let him out of prison. And that's the... That's the post-credit scene. And then the next post-credit scene is Michael Morbius, Dr. Michael Morbius driving, not flying or vampiring. He drives okay. out to the countryside oh, nice. where he meets an entirely CGI vulture who says, and, and this is word for word the script, I've heard that you're a strange guy like me. I don't know how I got here. I think it's something to do with Spider-Man. Maybe we should do a team-up. And Michael Morbius says... Interesting. <laughs> That's how it ends. <laughs> That's how it ends. That's how the film ends. That sounds so bad. And I'm inclined to think that you're being incredibly honest and accurate. I am. Portray. I am. That's exactly what happens. And Michael Morbius doesn't say, hey, who are you? And who's Spider-Man? And what do you mean how I got here? He just says, mm, interesting. <laughs> oh, it's fucking awful. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Oh, I don't think I'll be going to see that film. Connor, what do you reckon? You're going you're gonna to head out after the, this? The, the, <laughs> the biggest insult I think I can pay that film is that you, you two, I, I think you do this unintentionally, plug that film more than most on this channel. And <laughs> yeah, I completely not forgot that was out. Yeah, yeah, we're, the, that is entirely unintentional. Like, but I, I don't. That was the most baffling thing about Spider-Man: No Way Home for me was the post-credit sting with Tom Hardy. I, I, I it, it just completely kind of shot back. It was like they were playing tennis with Sony, and Sony kind of served up the the post-credit sting in Venom: Let There Be Carnage, and then they just shot it right back. And we're like, no, no, we don't yeah, want no, him. Thank you. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's. It's like this guy standing outside the club trying to get back in the the Sony <laughs> films for the MCU. It's it's insane. Why they keep doing this? I don't understand it. And Kevin Feige is the bouncer from um, Knocked Up. Y- yes, yes. Yeah. You've, you've, you're, you're not getting in here. You're old as fuck. <laughs> yeah, she's pregnant. 
This is yes, exactly. I, I yes, I, I don't know who the pregnant person is in this metaphor, but yes, thank you for for sorting. It's that. Uh, Venom, Venom, ah, and Michael perfect. Morbius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pregnant with bad Lovely. ideas. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> It's dreadful. Get out of here, Sony. What are you doing? <laughs> I, I I quite like that analogy where it's like a really aggressive game of tennis or something where it's like, oh, you, I'm going to get you. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm sending yeah, that straight yeah, back. Yeah. No <laughs> it's like a really aggressive game of tennis, but one of the players is blindfolded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sony has no idea what game. Sony think they're playing ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> Sony have a it's, racket. That is about it. A racket yeah, with a oh, lot of money. Absolutely shocking! It's, it's shocking! It's shocking! It's like, it's three or four levels below fan films on YouTube. Oh wow, that's, that's I quite don't know a- how I got, and they couldn't, they clearly couldn't get Keaton back because he doesn't take the the mask off. Yeah, I think Keaton, Keaton has one voiced line where his lips move and. Um, he says something and oh, wow. everything else must have just had to go in the bin when someone is only saw no way home. Wow! Can you? Can you? Yeah. I'd love it if nobody knew, right? None of the executives knew. There was no memo passed around that this happened. There was one intern that decided to go see Spider Man Far From Home. Yeah, and has anyone like, oh. seen Spider Man? Have you guys? Have you guys seen Spider Man yet? Because none of the things that we've done makes sense. And, <laughs> and then, then they're like, "Oh, Tony, you terrible intern! Get out of here! Get out of here, Tony! We're going to put you in a fat suit and put you in the next house, house of Gucci too. Gucci's Revenge." Anyway, look, that's enough of that. Let's all just let that slide now, because Connor's right. We've given it too much of our time. Yeah, we'll, we will never give it an ounce of airtime again. Get rid of it. It's gone. Gone. What's next, Michael? Five years ago, yes. Um, I I found myself trapped on a tram with um. A very, a very enthusiastic comic book and comic book adjacent fan. Yes, um, who was that? Um, it was you, Michael. Oh, sounds sexy. Um, and, uh, <laughs> sounds like the start yeah, of an urban fantasy. It, it, it was a little. Um, <laughs> I, I would think of it more as an urban nightmare these days, Michael, but that's only with oh. the, the benefit of hindsight. I was very excited oh. at the time. Um, so, you had just found me, yeah. uh, my, my very old blog where I would write pop culture things. And yes, I remember. of nothing, you turned around to me and said, do you want to do a podcast? Do you do a podcast, I said. Do you want to do a podcast? I, pro- I probably said, you son of a bitch, do you want to do a podcast? It, I mean, it would be a classic uh, Mick Leonard issue uh, to say, here, come here to me, you son of a bitch. Uh, let's do a podcast. And I was like, I'm in. So, <laughs> about a week later, yes. with, with a single Yeti mic that I had bought, yes. I tramped up to your tiny room. Yes, the tiny room, Sean Rebug. And we proceeded to attempt to make a podcast that was supposed to last an hour, um, yep. but, it, but it ended up taking four hours of our life away. Four hours. Dreadful, where, dreadful audio quality. Where you pitched me a yes. Moon Knight TV series. Yes, go on. Now, Michael, at the time, this was way ahead of its time. Oh, because then it was an urban fantasy in many ways. Because Marvel <laughs> had no plans to do TV series, and you were pitching this to me as like a unique new way for Marvel to expand its cinematic universe. Little did I we think know, Daredevil. Michael. I think Daredevil had been out. Oh, possibly, possibly. But I'm going to say it was yeah, you, Michael. Yeah, uh, with me, I invented the concept of television. Yeah. So little did we know that Kevin Feige was listening, and he was like, "Oh, I like the sound of this television business." Um. I'll, I'll steal that and I'll do it and then we never got credit Michael and it was very sad but during that four hours of our life 
we 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 pitched a, a relatively decent um, Moon Knight series starring Rami Malek. Oh, Rami Malek, remember him? Yeah. And now, Michael, we've only gone and come bloody full circle. We can finish the podcast now. It's all over because this week saw the uh, premiere episode of Moon Knight starring Oscar Isaac. One Oscar Isaac, not Rami Malek. I'm happy enough with Oscar Isaac. I think he, uh, he, he does the job nicely. Oh, I think he did a very good job, Michael. I will tell you what. I loved it. Okay. Oh, there will be naysayers for sure. But I loved it. And what I tell you what I tell you what I loved about it. Go on. What I loved about it was it was the first thing we've had from Disney Plus the Disney Plus Marvel Universe. That's its own thing. Yeah, okay, that's fair. It doesn't follow a formula. It's it's got its it own little vibe. It's a, it's its own thing, but it's not, you know, it's not one division didn't follow a formula. Like, you, you, mm, if there's true. one thing you can say about one division, is that initially, at least, it definitely broke the mold. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is the first thing that feels fresh and new and exciting. Um, new character, new vibe, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's the first kind of new, new thing we've had from Marvel. If it feels a lot newer and fresher than even the movies like although Shang-Chi and the Eternals were both new properties they they felt a bit safer a little bit more standard Marvel yeah definitely where whereas the TV shows have just been here's what your favorite characters are up to after the movie and this one is like no we've got a new character for you this time what do you think of this guy he's a bit mad <laughs> he's a bit mental um, yes yeah, I think one of the things that that it really has gone for it is that you don't need prior knowledge of the Marvel Universe for this one. This could be free of Marvel and just a weird new superhero concept. We don't need to know about anything. There's no Avengers quips yet. We might we might see nothing, that in the nothing yet. Yeah, there might be some stuff in the future, but nothing yet. Uh, Connor, just before we continue here, have you managed to have you managed to to uh, peruse the the wonderful Moon Knight episode one? I I did, yeah. I saw it on on Friday. Um, I I also really really liked it. I have some worries about it moving forward. Just that, I it it was the first time I've watched every other series of Marvel I've watched and been like, this is great as a series. It should have been a film, or in Falcon and the Winter Soldier's case, just this this shouldn't be made at all. But um they I don't remember that one. What was that one about? <laughs> <laughs> you also plugged it heavily like, like oh, Morbius. No. <laughs> we just use it for but content. It's, it's a content farm. <laughs> but um my my I do have slight worries about this. I'm kind of a I, I do like Moonlight the character or Moon Knight I should say the character, but I by focusing the first episode entirely on Stephen Grant and making him quite unremarkable and setting up this kind of mystery and then giving that mystery away of kind of who his second personality is in I assume we're doing spoilers for the first episode by the way yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah it's a TV yeah. show yeah yeah yeah, yeah. By, yeah. by kind of um, revealing that he, he has um, multiple personalities in the first episode I'm just concerned about what they're going to do with the rest of it because they do kind of make Stephen quite unremarkable and set him out as this kind of weird loner guy and I just don't know what they're going to do now that they have five episodes left Mm. it almost felt like this could have been better as a film because if you imagine that as the first hour the second hour is then kind of their Mark Spector section and then have a climactic battle with tons of CGI oh yeah and maybe a laser going up into the sky inevitably but I'm just not sure what they're going to do for the next five episodes yeah is 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 um 
is Stephen going to be the main character, basically? Yeah. Because it almost feels like he, it would be better if he were. Hopefully they don't just ditch Stephen now and just give us cool, improbably awesome Mark Spector. But <laughs> I, yeah, ex- exactly. But I just feel like they've done very little to make Stephen a... They've given him very few hooks. You know, he's figured out that he has this these multiple personalities. I don't know what else there is to him. Mm. Yeah. I think I think there might be a Stevie. I feel there's a Stevie. I think a lot of the things that we're supposed to expect that Mark Spector has been doing. Like, I don't think Mark Spector is asking tour guides on dates. Yeah. And everyone keeps calling him Stevie and actually being quite nice to him. And they're like, see you next week, Stevie. And he takes it as an insult and goes, oh, Stephen, actually. But uh, I think they're all... I think they're all friends with a cool guy called Stevie. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite interesting. Um, having watched the first episode, it's very clearly modelled on the Jeff Lemire run. Of, Go on. Um, Moon Knight, which is Welcome to Egypt. It's a Jeff Lemire, your doppelganger, Jeff Lemire. My doppelganger, Jeff Lemire. So he tackled this just after um, the Warren Ellis run and Declan Shalvey run that we've covered on this very this this here podcast that introduced the world to Mr. Knight um the thir- one of the third iterations of Moon Knight but in that one um Welcome to Egypt by Jeff Lemire is uh, a deep dive into the disassociative dis- identity disorder that he suffers from and it's kind of a recouping of Mark Spector's psyche so Mark Spector is the prime identity um Mark Spector is the the real person who was born and has a legal birth certificate and all those other things. Um, and he grew up as Mark Spector and then his disassociative identity disorder crept in over time. Um, the, the second personality he developed is Stephen Grant. Now, the Stephen Grant that we see in this show is a massive departure from the Stephen Grant in the comics because the Stephen Grant in the comics is like a playboy millionaire. He's like a Bruce. In this one, he speaks like this. He's all like, oh, if I can call for more contact lenses. <laughs> yeah, so he's got a weird... Oh, I, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was prepared for a much worse Dick Van Dyke style... Uh, I've been rock. on the internet recently, yeah. on some of the cesspools. But even the cesspools of the internet are saying, from Londoners, it's not that bad, actually. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Like, there's certain parts of London where, okay, it's a little bit over the top, but he would fit in. You wouldn't bat an eyelid at it. Yeah, yeah, he'd be all right. He's, he's, he's been out there, but, you know. It's like that, isn't it? Because everyone loves to talk a funny way, so you won't notice that someone was a bit weird. So I, I think he's also, <laughs> you know, one of the great things about Stephen Grant, as you pointed out, Connor, is that he's very relatable. Um, like, no, again, he didn't. He said he's very average. He didn't say... Uh, oh, sorry. You've taken, you've taken a very deep and personal unintended slow, swipe at Connor there. Sorry, you said he's very relatable because of his averageness. Maybe I just took it. I'm, pro- I'm projecting. My apologies. Um, I'm projecting. Um, he's deeply average and therefore I relate to him heavily. Um, so, again, what we see in the, the Welcome to Egypt run is Amit is the main villain. Um mm. And the entire thing really takes place in a kind of uh, New York-Egypt fusion, you know, um, mindscape that Mark Spector finds himself trapped in. And he has to navigate it and he has to navigate Conchu and his relationship with Conchu. And then Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, Jake Loxley, all these other people. So there You're are talking other... about the comic, aren't you? I'm talking about the comic very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay, good. Um, 
Jake Loxley is very possibly going to be introduced as a third personality a little bit further. It wouldn't surprise me if the Scotty that everybody knows in this... Stevie. You know, uh, it's Scotty, is it not? The security guard calls no, him Scotty. No, no, Stevie. Is it Stevie? Oh, terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Steve, it wouldn't surprise me if that is the classic Stephen Grant, the playboy Stephen Grant that we saw. But this character is very much... Um, bashed even by Conchu who is like oh the parasite is in control or the the idiot is back or whatever so it's quite interesting I don't know if if this Stephen Grant like is a placeholder personality that just fills time in between other ones um what did you think of Ethan Hawke Connor um I I I liked him I thought he he had an interesting setup I really really liked the the cold open with him and putting glass in his shoes I thought that was really just kind of set his character up nicely. I, I, this is strange for me in that it was probably the first Marvel film I've ever watched where I was kind of like more CGI villains because I, I, when they revealed Moon Knight, I just thought it was such a cool reveal at the end that I don't see how Ethan Hawke's character is going to challenge him. The only thing they seem to have given him so far is the scales and he he judges people and obviously has a, a lot of henchmen, but I, I don't, I'm not sure how that's going to um, reach a climax between the two of them. Well, maybe it doesn't have to because maybe that's uh, maybe that's Sony Spider-Man universe thinking where you just need the two boys to have the same powers so they can have a big slap fight. Yeah, we're probably avoiding the Stephen Dorff, um, Wesley Snipes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think he's probably, I think um, Arthur Harrow has a big connection to the mystical elements of um, it you know Egyptian uh, beliefs and stuff like that that creature at the end the kind of werewolf uh, Anubis style creature is under his control um, because he announces over the gift shop that he says um, Stephen Grant gift shop man like give over the scarab and you don't get torn to pieces and then he has to encounter that. One of the things that I found fascinating about that entire thing is it is actually very jarring when you jump from state to state. Um, I watched it twice. Initially, I hated it. Um, I really was you, not a fan. You did get a big head in you. Uh, I asked you, did you see Moon Knight? And you said, I hated every second of it. And I said, all right, Benjamin, calm yourself down. <laughs> Doesn't quite go and have <laughs> Go and have one of your mochas and then come back and watch it again. And you said, okay, I will. But then, begrudgingly. But then I had a little mocha and I came back to it. And a I vegan it mocha. A vegan mm. mocha. And I watched yeah. it again because I'm lactose intolerant, you see. Um, and I came back and I had a look again. And I went, actually, this is very good. Um, tonally, stylistically, cinematically, it's it's much darker than a lot of the Marvel stuff that we've seen. Um, and it makes it very interesting. And I really enjoyed watching it a second time because you begin to see the cracks in it. I'm not sure that apartment is real, um, for example. Mm. I, oh. I don't think that apartment is real at all. Um, I think that um, that apartment is in his mind. And I think that there are different personalities that inhabit the apartment when one of them oh. isn't called up to the real world. Um, very interesting. I think you're completely wrong, but very interesting. Benjamin, did you <laughs> cool. say lactose intolerant? Uh, sorry, what was that? Did you say lactose intolerant? I did, yes. Right, I'm just going to have to update your contact details here on the Shomrubyug staff page. Oh, that's cool. You can put just, it up uh, there on the website. Just scribble out racially here. <laughs> and then spell lactose for me. Um. L-A-C-T-O-A. Okay, thanks. That's grand. Benjamin, 
Yes. I don't think that I think that's a great concept I think that's a very interesting concept you've come up with there but I think the apartment very much is real because there's he's obviously put that scarab the scarab has healing powers obviously oh okay because uh, he, he he's we're, we're to believe he's jumped out of that tower when he wakes up in Switzerland and his jaw clicks back and into place then his jaw just clicks back into place and he's absolutely fine because that scarab has healing powers and he's obviously stashed that in the little pyramid in his fish tank and that's how his fish's fin has grown back. Oh, that's very clever. How'd you get that? Because I was watching it, you see. I was watching it and listening. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sitting there. Oh, no, if I, I better not be too smug of tea here in case I'm wrong and you're right. <laughs> just but I just, uh, I watched it intently, Ben, and uh, I kind of took in what was happening. Oh, <laughs> right. A little, oh, a sip right. from my smug of tea there. Settle yourself down. Um, I think, yeah, we... we F. Murray Abraham, I think, is going to be very enjoyable. He's Conchu's voice. Um, mm. I'm looking forward to seeing that pop up more. I think whoever has designed some of the concept for the, the disassociative identity disorder clearly watched Upload from, like, 2018. Um, mm. Mm. Because yeah. Oscar Isaac does some incredible, like, body work to, to manipulate the scarab uh, with Arthur Harrow at one point. Very good. Um, there can, have been a can couple... I just... Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to quickly ask on Conchu. Did... Either of you get serious venom vibes yes. off his voice, and yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, and are you <laughs> slightly worried about that? Because I imagine eventually Stephen and Conchu are going to have to kind of reconcile and work together, and I'm, I'm just worried about that buddy cop dynamic happening again between the two of them. That was the only bit I liked of Venom. Okay. So, okay. so, so when, it's not a worry for you. Okay. When he's when the voice appeared and goes, "Oh no, the idiot's in charge again." I went, "Oh, brilliant! Oh, it's venom. Brilliant. It's, the, it's the good bit of venom." Did he just throw the gun? Brilliant. He's even doing the same voice. It, it yeah, is the he, same he is, voice. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I mean, that kind of um, disembodied narrator kind of giving out to you in your head—it's a common thing in video games too, and it's something I quite enjoy uh, about video games. So it was my favorite bit of Venom. So I quite like that, to be honest. Okay, okay, fair. I had no major issue with it. I think as the the show progresses, we're going to see a lot more conflict between those different personalities. I think Oscar Isaac is about to uh, really flex his range, so to speak. Um, I know for a fact that his the English accent was his idea um, oh, I lost my contact lenses of the building got other problems with electricity <laughs> and I think oh, always the same isn't it in there always the same oh what day is it there's a ble- <laughs> there's a big bleeding Anubis you donut uh, yeah so oh, the, the NED is wrong don't mean to don't mean to poke fun at the marketing department but there's nine goods isn't it in it, and it's loads of that. Um, yeah. Here's the thing, though, right? It's Doctor Stephen Grant. He's not a doctor, is he? He's a gift shopist. He's a gift shopist. Gift shopist. Gift shopist Stephen Grant lives in a world where not only do Thor and Loki and Icarus and Cersei and all exist, but they're celebrities. Yes, they're no. Thor is a celebrity. Yes, they are known mythic so, entities. <laughs> Exactly. So if, Anu- if Anubis or Am- Amet or Conchu starts speaking to you, you're probably like, oh, it's exciting. You're not going to go, oh, I'm definitely mad. I think it's, uh, yeah, no, that's fair. You might be like, oh, cool. I'm going to be on the Avengers in about a month. I'm, uh, I'm going to be on Avengers. <laughs> it would be like getting a text from Britney Spears. I'd be like, 
What is this? Is this an April Fool? <laughs> oh, a- April Fool's got me a few times this week, lads. There was there was yeah, one me that too, was like um, sure. Robert Pattinson stepping down from Batman, Ben Affleck back in the running. I was like, what? And then no, I was that, like, oh, that's real, Ben. That's real. Uh, that's not April don't Fool. Don't you dare. Don't anyway, you I thought, dare. I thought it was good and I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Yes, I, I think it's, as you said, it's very distinct from the others. And I think that's important because those TV shows have been very hit and miss the more time has gone mm. by. Um, yes. They don't have a lot of sticking power, I think, because sometimes they do just devolve into by the numbers Marvel stuff with quips and, you know, action sequences and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I did notice about Moon Knight is the CGI at times was very, um, very less than exemplary <laughs> um, mm, in certain yeah. moments. But I didn't care as much because I think when it mattered, for example, the close up of Khonshu approaching through the hallway and stuff like that. When it mattered, it pulls it off quite well. Um, there are other moments, for example, a truck carrying a large amount of logs, where I was kind yes, of like, that's, oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> that whole sequence is a bit chunky-wonky, all right. Yeah. And I, but, I, yeah. even though that whole sequence is a bit chunky-wonky, I had a grin on my face like a yeah. child during that whole sequence. The music, the Stephen Grant foolishly being a big fool, and then the cuts to Mark Spector, and then waking up and everything, everyone's dead. <laughs> that whole sequence, I just grinned like an idiot during that whole sequence. It was brilliant. Oh, Mick's found a new favourite show. Oh, so nice. So nice. Uh, but come here to me. Yes, go on. Come here to me. One of my favourite things, Michael, was the fusion of, you know, kind of fantasy and the urban that we saw in that little German town oh, and in London. And very good things. yes I see what I did there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is a stretch but fair play <laughs> yeah well we're all about a good stretch here on the podcast uh, Connor mm-hmm. but th- I tell you what else is a stretch <laughs> go on uh, I don't actually have anything else for that I was just hoping to kind of segue <laughs> gently into something I tell you what else is a stretch this week's episode topic uh, ladies and gentlemen Connor is our resident fantasy expert here on the, the podcast uh, keen listeners and loyal uh, tuners in may remember the last time Connor came on this podcast and I tried to bring up any research on the topic of the fantasy genre Connor was like oh yeah I read that and then I read the the kind of antithesis of it and I was like yes. oh, okay I've I've lost my position in this podcast that's unfortunate um <laughs> so I am a glutton for punishment if uh, nothing else so we've brought him back this week ladies and gentlemen to have a look at urban fantasy with us uh, and to take a look at what makes it bloody tick Oh, I can't wait to talk about Shadow Hunters. Sh- Shadow Hunters. So I, I think that's an interesting jumping off point. I think for a lot of people... Oh, no, I didn't. I was trying to be disruptive, but uh-huh. all right, go on. Nice try. <laughs> um, I think for a lot of people, their their starting point in fantasy, especially these days, if you didn't grow up with comic books or if you didn't grow up with a Lord of the Rings obsessed parent, you've probably come to the, the fantasy genre and more so the urban fantasy genre through teen teen fiction or YA. Uh, young adult fiction because in terms of urban fantasy um the ya subgenre of any kind of fiction is obsessed with it uh shadow hunters being a prime example um city of bones city city of bones the mortal instruments uh, mm. lots of examples as we, uh, you know and i think largely it it helps when you're younger i suppose to have uh, an easy parallel to draw to which is you know the urban environment that you might have grown up in a london or a a bloody new york those are two of the big ones obviously Mm, yeah yeah 
Uh, and then it helps to introduce those fantastical elements. And then obviously as you grow and love the genre a bit more, maybe you want to push more into the fantasy element as opposed to the urban element and you have a nice uh, diving off board. Um, the, the unfortunate thing about urban fantasy from a YA perspective is that it it is laced with tropes, laden down and burdened with tropes that Not have wrong. to be fulfilled. Nothing wrong with tropes, Ben. Nothing wrong with a trope, Michael. I have a big trope tattoo across my uh, back, as you know, Michael. Trope for life. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I wear it proudly to all uh, events. It's it's a wonderful tattoo. But in this case, it usually comes with some very uh, standard kind of by-the-numbers plot points. Uh, enemies to friends, enemies to lovers, um, you know, uh, different races as... Um, fantastical creatures you know these kinds of things are baked in to the young adult formula for urban fantasy Um, and then as we get older I guess we look for ways to branch out of that and kind of avoid it and then in other cases we embrace it wholeheartedly and that's what gets us to one of Connor's favourite books which is the Dresden Files you know um, can I actually just say I found it interesting there that you said that um, younger people or I suppose new readers to fantasy kind of jump on urban fantasy as their their jumping off point I actually think it happens with authors as well a lot where they will set their their a lot of authors who take off quickly um their first books or their their entire series will be urban fantasy because I think it's just a much easier way to get into writing um, it, it kind of is fan fiction-y in a way because you're essentially just taking the world and changing, in some cases, just one thing about it. You know, what if magic existed in this? What if vampires existed in Los Angeles? What if, you know? Um, and I, I think it really, really helps a lot of... A lot of authors will start with fan fiction and there are some people who are... Like George R.R. Martin is famously very against fan fiction because he thinks it stifles creativity. And I think urban fantasy kind of gives people that that... As you said, that kind of... Aren't that crutch to lean on where they have their whole world set up they just change one thing and then it's just kind of an exercise in branching out exactly how that affects everything and the better kind of fleshed out urban fantasy worlds you, you see just a much more thorough I'm going to reference the Dresden Files a hundred times on this you just see a much more in-depth analysis of that and how it affects every little thing within that world yeah I I hadn't considered... We never consider things from an author's point of view. That's so interesting. Um, nah, authors, put them in the bin. I'm Sookie Sackhouse, and I live in a world where vampires are sexy and they're all attracted to me. What else is different about your world, Sookie Sackhouse? Absolutely nothing at the start, but we'll probably... We'll figure a lot of that out later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we get various southern exclamations of, what do you mean fairies. there's werewolves? There's fairies as well. Yeah, what and fairies as well. There's fairies. <laughs> I'm a fairy. Oh, I knew that the whole time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And sexy. Yeah, and everyone loves me. Um, the only other thing I was going to say from the author's point of view, and this isn't actually fully um, confined to urban fantasy, but it does happen a lot where authors will often get a one book deal and their the rest of their books will be obviously dependent on sales. So they'll set up their world in the first book in the hopes that they'll get that, that second and third book deal. And they can't leave a load of threads open. So you have this really annoying situation where after the first book closes, you might have a really satisfying ending. And then the publishing company comes back to them and says, oh, no, we want to make this a trilogy or whatever the case may be. And you've you, the, the author's kind of stuck in this place where they're like, well, I've, I've tied everything off neatly. So I'm going to have to fray everything basically again. 
and you can kind of get this rushed world building. So I do find that a lot of urban fantasy books, once again, so Dresden Falls is 17 books long at time of recording. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> they're, they're much longer. They, they you know, they, you can't be confined to kind of a, a, a very set and closed off world. It just, it just never works really within the genre. Do you mean like um, Highlander? How in Highlander everything got resolved and then they said, we want a Highlander too. Yeah. Um, but like, but we very specifically said he's the only one. And they're like, get, get more, get more. Just put aliens? more Highlanders in it. Aliens. I guess it's more aliens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I can think of the Darkest Shade of Magic series. I think it's just a standout example of this in kind of fantasy where it's it's tied off so neatly. And then you know, obviously a, a new book deal is signed. It's like, oh, we need plot hooks we i don't know what to do mm. here you know but it, it does happen quite a bit i think the darker shade of magic is such a fascinating example because if, if you reread that it, it it just holds up like that that as a first novel as a an introduction to a world world building magic system everything it's just so tidy and it's yeah. it's so well done and then what happens is are you waving for a reason mick Yes, I imagine I'm a trog who doesn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> ah, okay, yes, that's fair enough. <laughs> Hello, trog. Um, so, A Darker Shade of Magic is a, is a book by... Uh, Not the, you, Oh, Connor. sorry, go on, Connor, you go ahead. Oh, oh God, uh, uh, A Darker Shade of Magic <laughs> is a book by um, V.E. Schwab, who uh, I think Ben has referenced The uh, Invisible Life of Addy LaRue on this podcast before, but um, it is a trilogy um, set in... London, but there, basically the the hook is there are four different Londons within the world, and oh. um, so there's Red London, which is filled with magic. Our London, which is I think Black London, which is just there's no magic left in the world. Grey London, Grey London. Sorry, yeah. Um, and there are two other London. I it's been a while since I've read it, but I I agree with Ben. The first book is absolutely amazing. It's it's very tightly written. Um, and it closes off the story really really well. And one of my favorite things about that story is it does a male female um like relationship really well without it ever actually progressing to a romantic stage um and you get that really cool ending where Eliza at the end of it just kind of marches off to basically get a pirate ship and then in the second book comes along and they're like oh we 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 need to get these all back together again and all of a sudden she just comes back and it, it, it just kind of ruins it for me and you know they're both pining for each other all of a sudden it becomes very tropey and it does happen a lot in urban fantasy I think where you use you, these tropes that people fall back on and it, it rarely works long term unless it's they're going you know 10, 12, 15 books kind of long mm-hmm but isn't that an issue with any kind of fantasy that uh, any fiction that might end up becoming extended that you're right this isn't urban fantasy so it's a terrible example but the first Pirates of the Caribbean is great Mm. and everything's wrapped up into a tight little bow and there's no need for for that set of characters to ever get back together again Yeah. and then every film after that is like we'll flip it we have to contrive a reason to get Elizabeth Swan here and we have to contrive a reason to get Bill Turner here what what are we going to do how are we going to get everyone back together Is, is that what you saying is that the problem i i know you are right i i suppose the reason i think it happens a bit more in urban fantasy is as you said a lot of urban fantasy comes from newer authors because they are kind of uh cutting their cloth on the genre of kind of lower fantasy where they have that crutch of they have a world already they just need to add their own supernatural elements to it 
So mm. I think you do notice it. There is kind of a sharper decline from first to second book in a lot of urban fantasy cases, I think, because they've obviously gotten their publishing deal and they they have to do exactly that. They have to bring all these characters back and make them interact again, whereas really they only have one book's worth of story for them. Mm. You could do a Pratchett on it and just go off and tell a, same, a, a different story in the same world. This is why you should be a writer, okay. Michael. Tell us about the Dresden Files, Connor. Tell us why that's a good example, please. I've um, never heard of it or seen it. Yeah, yeah, I have been pitching Ben to get you to read the Dresden Files for the last year, I would say. He's not um, the boss of me. <laughs> the Dresden Files to me is an absolutely amazing example of urban fantasy because it the the incline in quality of those books, I think, is it, it's so noticeable. The first, I'd say, one to three... Dresden Files are kind of different from standard fantasy in that the books are not massive tomes. They're all kind of two, three, four hundred pages long. But the the incline in quality and it, it's probably the most fleshed out world I've I've ever come across in fantasy. Um, it, everything just clicks so well by the fifth kind of sixth book that any new elements that are introduced, it, it, they don't feel the world feels so lived in. You never feel for a second like anything is introduced just for the sake of, oh, I need this kind of plot thing to work. Um, Ben's probably going to go through the list of kind of fantasy tropes for urban fantasy, and it does it does hit off all of them, but it just does it phenomenally well. Go on then, Ben. Go on. <laughs> I, there, are, there are lots of tropes um, that fall in here, and there are lots of examples where it's done well and where it's done horribly. Um, if you wanted to take your prime example of how to butcher um, some some really oh, straight, straight on the negative, are we? Uh, well, that's that's kind of my whole vibe, Michael. Um, All it's right, Benjamin, start straight on the negative, Colopy, as you know. Um, that's my <laughs> other tattoo, just below the tropes mm. for life one. Um, and it, one of the one of the best examples that uh, I've ever seen of, of of taking a good concept and really really mucking it up is Bright uh, on Netflix. So that that is a, a very modern urban fantasy and it's set in LA um, and and that one is is very interesting but it, it falls into a few uh, traps one of the things that's really enjoyable about urban fantasy is it takes what we're familiar with and it, it uh, twists it in a brand new way sometimes it does that for the purpose of you know satire or critique um, a good example of that would be Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman so Never, Neverwhere came out in 1997 it was written in 1997 and it's one of Neil Gaiman's lesser known um, lesser known fantasy books but Neverwhere is set in London Below and that's what it's called it's uh, the London Below and the concept is very very simple it, basically in a city as large as London with as much cultural history and you know events that have happened in it and things like that what happens is as the city progresses pockets of time are left behind um, oh, sounds exciting. And those pockets of time exist outside of regular time and space and certain people can move through them. Um, oh. So cer- certain people have access to these places um, and what it leads to is a bizarre London just below the surface. But the, the core of it is what has been left behind by London in this relentless march of progress? Because London now is is the one of the business meccas of the world. You know, oh, people helping their neighbours. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that got left behind, Michael. Um, as oh. You call. Um, oh, workhouses. 
but it's a fun, yep those are there too um the, the, these are the things that are left behind it's like a victorian london meets a shakespearean london make you know they're they're all there and they're all fused and it's very playful but the the highlight the thing it's trying to highlight is um london has erased a large part of its history it's sanitized a large part of its history um so critique is is very often one of the goals of um sorry critique is very often one of the goals of urban fantasy it it's it's there to highlight problems bright i think i'm going to use that as the foil for a lot of this because i just think bright i think was trying to make a police brutality a police discrimination narrative yeah 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 and ghettoization and ghettoization and you know racial profiling and things like this narrative mm, yeah but it just it didn't do it very well because the things that it was trying to you know the orcs were supposed to be misunderstood um except that they're then mapped onto latino culture in los angeles so yeah what we get then is a, a case of oh that's that's a bit racist um, it's just racism it's just racism it's just um, racism that's what was wrong and that's one of the big problems that we get so you know you go ahead sorry did you say racism was no, wrong? No, I was just—I was just going to say it's just racism again. Okay, it's just racism again, um, which seems to be, you know, a go-to these days for for anything. In a world where Latinos are orcs and fairies are also there, but everything <laughs> else is more or less exactly the same, racism, R- racism is still uh, going on. Still Get rid of it. Um, yeah, in a world where orcs are people of colour and elves are white people with money um, yeah it's uh, so I think it does it very ham-fistedly so to speak there but there are other great moments in in urban fantasy one of the enjoyable things about urban fantasy is that there's a whole world just out of sight of ours um, so I think one of the things that people really enjoy um, about urban fantasy and I could be wrong here Connor you're more than welcome to correct me but it's the notion that certain people are aware that both worlds exist and there's the there's the the tantalizing concept that if you turn the corner you might find yourself in the the magical element of the world or you might find yourself mm. in the ordinary um and i think go ahead sorry no i was just going to say no you've you've kind of highlighted it perfectly i think that one of the biggest challenges for any author is trying to get a protagonist who is has a foot in each world to the point that they're not too in the fantastical world that someone can explain to them the elements and they're going to explain it to the, the reader or viewer without it coming across as sit down here and I'll just explain my world to you. Um, and at the same time, they can't be, they can't be an idiot. You know, they, these things have been happening to, to them for a long time. They, they, they can't stay be unaware of everything. Luke Skywalker yeah. is a really good example of this in a certain way. I know it's not urban fantasy, but he's introduced to all the to Jedi and everything in Star Wars for example and it, he, it never comes across as oh well I've never heard of these things before you know you can kind of explain this as it goes along um, Dresden is a weird example of that in that he's a detective who has very much been in the world for a long time but because it's set as his kind of notes on cases the author gets away with a lot more. I suppose a lot of it mm-hmm. is how you kind of frame your your kind of framing device for your story as well. Hey, we've been friends for 27 years, even though you're an orc and I'm a human, and I'm your baby's godfather, even though that usually doesn't happen because orcs only have one baby per generation. And don't yeah. you forget it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I won't forget it. Those are things we both know, but thanks for pointing them out. Yeah, so that- yeah it can come across very ham-fisted in some examples. So- 
that was a little cameo there from Captain Exposition, um, who <laughs> yes, very kindly uh, came onto popular. the show um, to have a look at that. So I, I think, yeah, that's the framing device is really important, and the setup can be really important. So one of the one of the authors that I think does this really, really, really well is um, Ben Ar- uh, Ben Aronovich, um, and he's created a whole series around London called the Rivers of London. Um, and the Rivers of London has a very uh, simple setup. There's a rookie police officer in the London Met, the actual London Met. It's not a, it's not a magic Met. It's not a, you know, it's not a an orc Met or anything like that. It's the regular London, and he's a, a rookie police officer, and he happens to encounter on one of his cases a ghost. Okay. Now the ghost has a conversation with him. He doesn't realize it's a ghost, and by the time he does, um. A, a, a higher ranking officer comes along and helps him sort out what's happening so he kind of talks him down from this big shock of the thing so this is DC Peter Grant and then the higher ranking officer who comes and gives him a hand is uh, Nightingale a man called Nightingale and uh, Nightingale is a wizard okay and this is set in a world of dwindling magic so DC Nightingale is of the assumption that magic is leaving the world and he works for a special branch of the Met called the Folly. Um, and the Folly is the weird, unexplained cases thing. So DC the X-Files. It, I think you mean the X-Files. It's bit. a bit like the X-Files, yeah, but with Victorian magic and stuff in it. Um, oh, yeah, in it. And so in this world, the reason it's called the Rivers of London is that each of the Rivers of London has a god. Um, and what, uh, what Ben Aronovich does is he borrows from, really interestingly, um, Irish itinerant and gypsy folklore for one side of London and they handle mm. um, the rivers I think it's uh, the rivers to the east of London and then he borrows from Afro-Caribbean folklore um, and kind of the Windrush generation to create the gods and goddesses of the rivers in this in the west of London um, very interesting I think they prefer to be called Irish travellers but we won't we won't, uh, I'm, we won't nitpick on that then. Uh, yeah sorry I'm, I'm really not sure what the correct one is I tried to be as correct as possible um, but what uh, Peter Grant finds himself doing is navigating this uh, entire it's London it's exactly the same but there are hugely fantastical elements and beings that can really influence the city and stuff and it's the folly's job to make sure that those beings don't over influence the city so you know that they don't rise to absolute power and then obviously there's you know evil wizards and stuff and it's it's great it's a real fun read but one of the things Connor that you pointed out is it's really hard to strike that balance between I'm a complete newbie to this world or I'm an idiot who never gets to grips with this world and yeah. Peter Grant is is perfect in it because as the books progress he's been making his own case files and he's been learning and you know as the books progress it's a much longer series there's about six books in it um, and again they're not tomes so they're good jumping in points um, and you know it's it's London and it's all the famous locations like Soho and the jazz clubs and Soho and stuff like that but you slowly get to see Peter Grant get to grips and the people in the the people who read the books get to grips with it as well and it's kind of a nice growing process so that might be another reason that urban fantasy is so popular is because you know if they're given room to grow they can be really enjoyable kind of uh, relatable things I feel like you both keep referencing short books like I'm some sort of trog who's afraid of long books I've got all sorts of books here I've got bloody I can read any length of book I've got the Transformers Dark of the Moon novelization. Oh, oh wow and that's got 
375 pages. <laughs> you don't have to be only giving me short books. Well, I've got the bloody... I've got the... The zombie survival guide. That's uh, that's not a novel. That doesn't count. That's quite short. Uh, it's quite short as well. Um... I, uh, yeah, no, I'm not, I've, I've hoist by my own petard a little bit here. Um, I've got The Lord of Silence by Chris Wainwright, a sample chapter from the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Ooh. That's nearly 60 pages. So you boys better uh, start respecting <laughs> my reading ability. I, I think I think I think we've just been un- unmasked as a couple of sick boys here, and not sick in the nineties <laughs> cool way. Um, very sorry, Connor. If you were to recommend some urban fantasy to people, what kind of urban fantasy would you recommend? Um, keep it short, though, Connor. Not yeah, the Dresden yeah, Files, yeah, yeah, little yeah. small ones. Not, not the Dresden small Files. Not the Dresden Files. Um, the Rivers of London, the series you were talking about there, is is very very good. Um, I I find it hard to recommend just urban fantasy because I think we spoke before about kind of low versus high fantasy, where low fantasy is within our world but has magic systems, and it, it's very hard to find something that is exclusively set in urban fantasy, or sorry, that is set that is kind of what you would call exclusively urban fantasy, and it's to be honest, not be kind of some sort of rip off of the Dresden Falls. Um, <laughs> it, 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 genuinely, gotcha, there's he gotcha. He came back around. <laughs> he came back around. Like, gotcha. There's the Iron Druid series. There's a lot of series that that steal a lot of the 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 tropes of the Dresden Falls. The first person narrative. The the kind of detective, or even in the Rivers of London, the kind of um, law enforcement setting where they're going to actively investigate things and. Uh, they, it's. I, I would start with the Dresden Falls. I'll be honest. I I would start there. If you don't like that, you're not going you to like son of a bitch. <laughs> you, you're just you're not really going to like urban fantasy. Um, in that in that style, you just won't. With regards to high fantasy, um, the Jade the Jade series, um, Jade City is the first one. That's kind of more of a Godfather esque series. Um, with kind of a bit of uh, Asian mythological influence. Um, it's basically about two kind of warring crime families and the, the uh, jade is a very very powerful substance in the world that gives people power and um, that's kind of set in that that would be an urban fantasy series I'd give it a, a look at that's a bit longer as well for Michael who can handle those those big tomes that comes in five six hundred pages um, it's a bit much for me bit- <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a sixty page sample, sample chapter yeah, man myself yeah the the, the, the as I said, like you've kind of set out the kind of tropes of the world, and if you don't like that style, that kind of grittier style of fantasy, with you know noir aesthetic and kind of people discovering kind of bits about their world that they've not really found out about before, you're not going to like urban fantasy in general. Um, so I would, I would, I would encourage everyone who wants to give urban fantasy a go to give the Dresden Files a go. And if you can't, if you don't like that, it's not for everyone. But if you don't like that, you you just it, it will never be a genre that does it for you. If you do, y- you'll love the Dresden Files. What's the first one called, Connor? And is it generally available? Stormfront is the first one uh, of the Dresden Files. Yeah, I think that's racists again, Connor. I think we're back to racists. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would encourage anyone to probably get it on Audible. Uh, it's read by James Marsters, who uh, plays Spike and Buffy, which is always a yeah, always a good time. Um, 
he he does an amazing job um of of narrating those books i i think and he kind of just sets the tone of the world really really well and um, they're also very very good in um print form but i connor sorry go on that only came out in 2000 yeah that's a book a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's as I said, they're shorter, so he can he can get them out. Uh, people judge fantasy books, I think, by George or Martin a lot. Uh, there are more <laughs> prolific authors who who do a bit better with regards to to meeting publishing dates and stuff. If, if but if you're not but, taking twelve years between sequels, is, is it art yeah, though, Connor? That's what I want to know. <laughs> is it art? Build those expectations. Anyone who's seen Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter, I think, will will say, you know, you can, yeah, we you can do it a bit faster. <laughs> Quickly, do because you've left me hanging, and I want to know what oh. that means. Go ahead, Connor. Yeah, yeah Brandon Sanderson is a uh, notoriously prolific fantasy author. Um, he publishes probably a book a year, and these would be big, big boys. Um, he has released a Kickstarter with four novels he has written over the pandemic. Um, he's going oh. to release one every three months in 2023, I think it starts. Um, but yeah, they're all kind of 500 page plus. Um, and he's raised, I think, over 30 million at this point on Kickstarter. Oh, good and man. he's kind of shaken up the, the publishing industry. Maybe we should do this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Sounds easy work. enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ben, you get working on four books. Okay. Connor and I will handle the back end. Okay, cool. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll Sounds handle good. marketing. Cool. I'm all for it. Game one. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, Connor, as usual, you are a font of knowledge. Thank you very, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, are you going to be picking up any of these particular things? Are you a Dresden Files fan? Do you want to start a little fan club with Connor? We'll set it up. Um, you can have a little Dresden Files Discord, and we'll uh, we'll set you up in there. We'll probably have a little Dresden Files fan cast if you want, um, because Connor really is a huge fan of the Dresden Files. I have actually downloaded Stormfront, read by James Masters, and I will be giving it a whirl finally after. Uh, I am going. <laughs> I'm going to the bookshop now. He's going to the bookshop now. So I'm going to the bookshop Jim now. Jim Butcher is not paying me for this podcast, but honestly, just just I would encourage anyone who wants to try Urban Fantasy. It is the the standard bearer for it. If Jim, Jim Butcher does want to sponsor this podcast, uh, he can get in touch with us in a number of ways. Uh, he can Very find us ben. on the synergy. He can find us on the interwebs at www.shamrabyog.com. S e o m r a b e a g dot com. It means tiny room in Irish. Does indeed. Uh, he can find us on Instagram at Sherlock Should Listen Podcast. It means sometimes there's nothing there in uh, English. Yeah, depending on how busy I am during the week, I might not bother. Uh, or you might not bother. The best way to get in touch with us, that direct line to uh, your two tolerable co-hosts and one excellent guest star, is to get up on that Discord, baby. Hop up on it like it's the 1970s. Like the 1970s. Connor, thank you very, very much for coming on again and uh, doing an L podcast with us. No problem at all. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, and uh, apologies, I was late. I know you're going to get in trouble for that later. Connor, no, no one would have Ben's ever known. going to get an absolute hammering. <laughs> no one was going to get an absolute hammering. <laughs> Connor, no one would have ever known. But uh, thank you for outing yourself on a national broadcast. That's it from us, ladies and gentlemen. Bye bye. It's international, just because no one internationally listens to it, but it is international. (laughs) Okay, bye everybody, see you next week.